Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 228 with Bon Collins. How are you, Bon? I'm good, thank you. Now, <laughs> I must admit, people, uh, there's great things about podcasting that uh, audio is awesome. But in the background there, I can see this cutout of Johnny Depp. Do you want to explain that? Just, <laughs> just sort of paint the picture for listeners. I think it's brilliant. I can. So I'm one of those awkward people that when you say, what do you want for your birthday or what do you want for Christmas? I really get stuck because I don't really want anything. Um, so I always ask for Johnny Depp. Um, and one of my my closest friends this Christmas delivered and bought me a life-size cutout of Johnny Depp, so he's in the background. (laughs) It's great. It's really nice. Normally when you do a podcast, it's just yourself and the other person, but I feel like we've got a bit of an audience now. We have. He's quite quite a naughty cutout because he hides different places regularly to scare my husband. Um, (laughs) I love that. Now, Bon, one of the things when I was, uh, you know, looking through sort of your bio and everything you're upbringing is that you grew up in a cult. Now, I just find I was really fascinated by this. Do you want to explain that? Because I'm really excited to hear more about this. Yeah. So here in the UK, I think people don't realise they exist even. Um, You know, extremist religion is something we really only hear about in the news and maybe think happens in other countries. Um, And I certainly didn't understand what it was until I was an adult um, and had had already left. And even then it took another six months before I'd figured it out. Um, So uh, essentially it functions as a a church. Um, I say that in inverted commas. Um, (laughs) But a lot of the demands that are made of people within that are are not what you would expect from um, a a church. So um, it was very strict. Um, the um, I don't want to call him a vicar the leader um, he would dictate what punishment we should receive if we'd been naughty Um, it was very much dictated what our social life would be for many years we didn't have a television and when we finally did I think I was 15 when they finally were that was something they were allowed um, we were only allowed to watch um, a program called BBC Wildlife on One so that was about nature and really strangely, The Bill, which I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's a British police show. I have the police show. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that was like our entire TV viewing. Um, and I remember when we first joined, I would have been about five, coming up to six, I think. And my parents had um, the most amazing music collection. My birth father was into music was a massive thing for him and he had like original vinyl from the police when they were still around and like some mega stuff and they literally made him have a bonfire and burn all of this vinyl all of the books like just everything and it's just I now as an adult I'm like oh my god so we didn't watch like mainstream tv if I went to a friend's on the occasions that I was allowed to go because again that was very much controlled. So if my friends had brothers, it was very serious about me going over there. You know, that had to be given much consideration. Um, and just like, I didn't do social stuff at school. So as a teenager, I was seen as a bit weird because I didn't go to the parties. I went to the pub once um, and I was already 18. This is hilarious. I was already 18, so I was actually allowed to go. Um, I went to the pub once with my friend and we actually went in for a Diet Coke 
Um, and I just remember my birth father caught wind of it and came down and dragged me out by the scruff of the neck. So <laughs> wow. it was really, really serious. Um, things like my education, so what subjects I could study were picked. So I really wanted to be a musician when I was younger. I really enjoy music. I started playing piano at the age of four um, and I sung as well. And at school, we'd put together this band and we were going to enter this talent competition um, and I wasn't allowed to go. Um, so I snuck out of my bedroom window and went and went and entered anyway. And I actually won, which was quite <laughs> funny. <laughs> but also I, I got, um, I bagged an audition for the National Youth Music Theatre, which is quite a big thing when you're younger over here. And I remember they drove me to it. Um, but then in the car were telling me that I wasn't going to be allowed to go in. And again, I had to kind of make a break for it and get myself in there. But yeah, all of my subjects were then chosen. So it was decided that I needed to be academic. Um, so I, all my GCSEs, music was not in there. Um, and it was all very academic stuff that I didn't enjoy. Wow. So it, uh, yeah. Like, so, so you said like you, you joined when you were like five. What, yeah. what made you, what made your parents like, did they like get brainwashed or how does that, how does that happen? Yeah, I think, so they were a very vulnerable point in life and I feel very sad about that for them. So they were quite young, not young by today's standards, but they were quite young when they had me, I think 19 and 24, um, which, you know, back then actually was quite young in a way like you haven't seen anything of life or experienced stuff to grow up um, and she'd had quite a tragic childhood and I think she probably needed that time to do that so they'd had me I was like the most amazing baby ever um, <laughs> so they decided very quickly to have another one so when I was I think I was six or seven weeks old they found out they were expecting my brother Wow. There were two of us before I was even, well, I was so pissed off at him. Excuse my friend. I was so annoyed <laughs> right. at him. He stole your thunder. <laughs> he, oh my God. Apparently I used to hang him out of the cot by, his, by the scruff of his baby grow, trying to finish him off because he'd stolen my <laughs> mum. And they went on to have a lot more children. Um, but my birth father, he would, what you would now diagnose as bipolar. Um, so right. back in those days, he was really going through the mill um and he was really up and down and he was in and out of psychiatric hospital um and she just did not cope you know she didn't have that support around her either um so when this and they were in the church of england and i remember those days as being really really cool we went to sunday school every, it was like a big community it was really fun but then i remember it becoming really stressful and i think it was as he was going through another episode and they just decided that that wasn't the community for them um I remember they both shaved their heads when I was four to play prisoners of war in a play. And I just remember these weird people coming home and they weren't my parents. Um, and just like the, the behaviour was really not what you'd expect around young children. Um, we were dragged here, there and everywhere for him to put on these plays um, that he'd written as well. So when the chap who runs the church cult um, came along <laughs> it's really hard to say nice things about it they, they kind of tapped in I think she was ready to leave him was the main thing um, and they tapped into that and they kind of brought them back together and so they now forever believe that that saved ah. their marriage and therefore their lives so I often wonder because I don't they've they, they have made contact during the pandemic um, via text but it's um you know, I just respond nicely so as not to cause any stress. But I often wonder if one of them wants to leave and they're scared to say so because it's not a happy environment at all. So you, so they're um, still they're still in the, the cult. Wow. Yeah, so they'll have been in it 
30 odd years now. I suppose they wouldn't know any different. Like that's no. that's all they'd probably know now, Bon. Yeah, and all the stuff that's happened to them over the years that's been harder, they don't attribute it to that. But as an outsider, I can now see that that you know the the impact it has on them, um, the difficulty it caused between them and our wider family. Um, you know, because relationships became strained because they judged everybody on what the core beliefs of this. You know, they mm. use the Bible as the main belief, but it's very um, strict on things. Um, I still have some faith myself, but it's um, much different to what it would have been back then. Um, I think it's really important to believe there is something bigger than you in the universe, whatever it is. Um, and something I struggle with, with a lot of religion is this judgment of people when I'm pretty certain it says in the Bible, judge not lest you be judged. Yeah. And I feel like we judge people based on their choices and it's not our place to ever judge that. So to me, having a bigger belief is very important. It gives you hope. It gives you something to look forward to. Um, but I, I really do feel like if we're basing it all around something that a human is telling us we should do, then um, that's that's not okay. So it wasn't. It was very violent. It was very very violent, um, and that was very difficult. Um, but I thought that was normal. So yeah, all you of wouldn't this, know different. I believed was no. I mean, I used to get annoyed that I couldn't go out with my friends, or you know, if they were all going here, there, or everywhere, I couldn't go with them. Um, and I dressed differently to everyone else because it, I was supposed to dress very modestly. So it was long skirts. And I look back at pictures of me when I was younger and I think, oh, you look like such an idiot. But like, it's just, um, and just, and I always used to have my hair cut off. So like, a bowl, someone, like a bowl cut. They literally would say, it, it would, they'd let it grow to my shoulders and then they'd be like, right, you know, you've got to have it all cut off now because otherwise we're not, we're, what have we paid for? But my two sisters, so I'm not a natural blonde, as you can tell from the roots, thank you, lockdown. Um, <laughs> my sisters were both blonde and they were allowed to grow their hair really long. But I'm dark-haired and I wasn't. And they used to cut it right off. They used to let it get to my shoulders, then cut it off. Um, and I showed someone a picture of me as a youngster the other day and they were like, who is that boy? And I was like, yeah, imagine at school, I was, you know, people would say, you look like a boy. Um, they'd have a hard time arguing that now because puberty happened. But <laughs> at the time, it was very much like this thing of, so I thought I was unattractive to anyone and everyone. I was this horrible, horrible person because I was being punished all the time for this, for things that I'd done that I didn't really understand. I just grew up believing that I was nothing really. And I'd been told I was, um, what's the word? I've forgotten the word, superficial and all these different things. And it took me a long time to figure out who I really was. So at 18, I'd, or they made me leave home because me and my brother used to fight a lot because there was 11 months between us. And in 90, now I was 14, so 92, they decided the church needed to move from out in the countryside where it was to a town so that they could grow. They'd just lost a load of members. And I remember there were massive fights and they decided they wanted to grow. So they moved into this town and we moved from what was like a massive farmhouse that came with my father's job. So we all had our own bedrooms um, and just acres of land to play in, surrounded by fields. Um, and we moved into this tiny three bedroom house in the middle of an estate. So you imagine six children, like cram them in there with two adults, <laughs> <laughs> like not even a separate dining room and living room. And there were two decent sized bedrooms and a box room um, and it just got harder and harder. So me and my brother used to scrap constantly, just picking at each other because we were both fed up. We, I think we were both 
then understanding that the world was a bit different outside but weren't sure so they moved me out which is the biggest favor they could have ever done they literally packed my stuff they found somewhere in um, a town further away to drop me off and that was it I went back the first Christmas because I still hadn't kind of figured out that I needed to separate from this and they gave me the beating of a lifetime um, really? and by that point by that point I'd met my husband so I met my husband two weeks after I left home um just phenomenal um coincidence and he walked across the garden where I was staying and I thought oh he looks like Noah Wiley and if you're <laughs> as old as me you'll know that Noah Wiley was Dr Carter in ER the big series yeah, of George Clooney <laughs> Noah Wiley was the love of my life at that point so to see this bloke walk across I was like well hello but genuinely thought he wouldn't be interested because I looked like a boy but I was wrong <laughs> and we're still together now but so when that happened and I took this beating of a lifetime I remember I came back to to where I was living at the time and everything fell apart because his reaction and his parents reaction was when I first learned that what my parents had done to me all those years wasn't normal yeah. and so everything fell apart at that point and it took a long time to kind of come to terms with all of that. I suppose from everything you're just saying there, Bon, there's so much to really unpack. And um, your childhood, do you know what I mean? Like you've always been treated as an outcast. So you didn't fit in, in inside the church. You'll, you'll punish for that. But then also at school because of these uh, beliefs that you've been made yeah. to follow and things like that. And then and then to, you know, get beaten and, and try and get out of it. Um, yeah. Was it like that's that's mental scarring? How long did that like, actually, I know, like, obviously, your husband's family and him, he would have been saying, that is not normal, Bon. You need to get out. But for you, that's all you knew. How long did that take for you to realise that this isn't normal? Honestly, in total, it took me till I was 37. Yeah. yeah. I took, I made a break at that time and I separated myself from them for five, six years. Then we were getting married and I had this urge that I wanted my family there because everyone else has their family at a wedding so I reconnected. Um, it made it the most stressful wedding preparation you've ever heard of in your life because they were saying, you know, you should be getting married back where you grew up. And I wanted to get married where my husband's family lived. And I had to have my um, youngest sister as my maid of honour, but she's like 11 years younger than me. There's no connection, but it was frowned upon and just all this stuff. And we had the wedding and everything was, you know, it was it was just really stressful and I didn't enjoy it. Um, and then my birth mother, unfortunately, um, developed a brain tumour and I became, you know, sort of tied to them again because like... They drew fair, you back in, yeah. Yeah, and they kind of, because of the way that the cult is, they don't, they're not parents in that way, if that makes sense. They're very good at looking after small children. Well, I say very good, that's an absolute lie. But, you know, they were, they were good in inverted commas when we were little, but to have a relationship with your adult child, they have no way of formatting that. They can't deal with the child as a grown-up and has their own life. Because so, <laughs> just before we got married, they decided our, their wedding gift to us was um, a marriage preparation course with the leader of the cult. Oh. Um, which of course we were so looking forward to by that point what a great <laughs> so, present I know isn't it just and I must point out at this point Jake and I had been together almost eight years um, and we went to this course just to you know sometimes you do stuff just to be nice to the person who's made the um, gesture, gesture yeah. 
So we went to this course and we had to answer all these questions about our personalities and all the rest of it. And two weeks before the big day, the leader of the cult decided that Jake and I were incompatible. We were rushing things um, eight years in and um, that we shouldn't get married. And he went and told my birth parents and they told us we should be calling the whole thing off. Um, so that was a nice run up to the wedding. <laughs> I'd like to say <laughs> we've been married 17 years as of this last month. <laughs> Um, so I it's don't going well think then. it was not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the, that's just fascinating. So, uh, my thing is, like, obviously you're aware of what the cult was like and you'd been through it, but but Jake, your husband, what was he thinking when? Because that well, must have just been like, I'd love to. That'd be a great thing, like the Truman Show to have cameras set up when he walks into this thing, going, "What the hell am I in?" Yeah. So very fortunately, and this is why I believe there must be a higher power out there. Um, Jake has Asperger's, so um, he just takes everything like on a level. So in the time where I was an absolute mess, he was pretty good because he was just like he he was a constant. He just yeah. didn't, you know, and he do, he will say you know the whole thing is majorly well. I can't use words that aren't swear words, but it's an <laughs> awful situation. <laughs> and because he's seen firsthand, because they tried to talk to him and his parents about how I was wrong and I'd beat myself up to make it look like they had and you know but he could see what had happened and he was like there was just no physical way that that, that was possible he got to see it from both sides and yeah he he's always sort of said I just don't understand um you know how people can Fortunately, his parents had experience of the leader of the cult. He'd actually operated in the big town where they lived back in the 70s, but been kind of chased out of the town where he'd then moved out into the countryside. So they knew. So to them, it wasn't a shock um, that this all came out. So that was good as well, because I always had their support and they were absolutely fantastic. I mean, the stuff him and his parents put up with, you know, I got into a really dark place. By the I'm age sure of, sort of 1920, I didn't want to be alive anymore because I couldn't understand who I was, where I fit, how it was going to be, and I couldn't see a way forward. So they did put up with a lot. Well, yeah. on, <laughs> hats off to you mate, for coming through that. Like it, it's a, you hear about people's childhood, and um, I think people got different stories, but that's a completely different. Like no child should have to go through that. Like. And for you to be able to get out the other side and do what you're doing now, was there any positives that came out of that or that you you realised yeah. how resilient you were? Do you know, like that you were actually able to get out of a cult? Like, yeah, um, I think it took a long time for me to realise that. Like I say, um, it wasn't until I was 37 that I finally made the full break from my, and I do refer to them as my birth family now. I don't believe they any longer have the right um, to be classed as my family in the full sense. Um, and it was only then because I started to have a lot more signs of PTSD um, and it was only through being diagnosed that I realised, you know, this person sat me down, had like the initial phone interview and they did the score and they were like, your PTSD is so bad that we can't start treating you until we've done other stuff first. Like we need to wow. get you to this point. And I was like, whoa, how, what? hang on. And they said, you know, all these years that they've still been in your life. Yes, they're no longer physically assaulting you but emotionally they've really like been holding you over a barrel yeah and I was like oh they have and so that Christmas was really frustratingly emotional and kind of but at one point my birth parents on a phone call actually said um they were kicking off because they believe that Christmas is all about the grandchildren now and we've 
been unable to have our own children. And so over the years, um, they've had many sort of family parties. We weren't invited because we didn't have children, so we didn't fit in. And it's, it's odd how it makes them so uncomfortable. Um, and she was adamant that God would let me have babies. And I was like, but what if he had a different plan? Um, she couldn't accept that at all because why would he do that? And I'm like, because some people don't have to pop them out to, you know, be there for them. Yeah. Um, and it got really heated because my um, sister and her children were supposed to visit us and my birth parents thought it was, you know, just awful. How dare we take the grandchildren away from their grandparents? And it just ended with my birth father saying, do you know what? We never want to see or speak to you again. <laughs> and in previous years, I'd have felt so emotional about that. And when I hung up the phone, my husband just said, are you OK? And I went, do you know what? I am. And from that point on, I felt this great peace and was finally able to unpick everything um, and have healed. And, you know, I can let it go now. That was a huge, huge thing because I've never been able to let it go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's been um, quite the journey. So, yeah, Sorry. resilience is one thing. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, could, I could imagine, like, for and to be able to talk about it now and because a lot of people can't talk about, you know, things that they've gone yeah. through pre like and, and and that's understandable because it's horrific. And like you're saying, yeah, that's, the verbal abuse is one thing, the physical yeah. abuse and mental like it's everything, isn't it? I would say for anyone who struggles to talk about things, I would definitely seek some professional help because I didn't realise that the reason I was struggling so much and I would have these flashbacks and I was really struggling to talk about it was obviously when, when you go through trauma, the brain doesn't always refile the memory where it should be in the past and often it's still too far forward. And I had some fantastic therapy called EMDR where you talk about the past thing as if you're there in that moment. And it's really hard because you actually feel what you felt at that moment, oh. but you know you're safe because you're not in the same situation. But by doing that and then going through this process, they did mine with tapping because it was um, that was how they could do it. But some people do it with an eye movement as well. And it literally refiles it. And afterwards, if you talk about it, it's not this emotional thing. It's just an old memory. It's amazing. Um, and that was such a big part of recovery for me, was being able to file those traumatic memories um, and just find the strength. But I do, there are some good things. I grew up without television. So um, yeah. I do stuff, you know, I, I'm not someone who sits and watches TV all the time. I knit, I am artistic, you know, I, I can do things um, and like to be creative. And I wouldn't have done that if I'd sat and watched TV my whole childhood. So that's I can a very take good point. From it. Do, yeah. you, um, um, do you ever, do you ever have like, the urge to sit down and binge the bill? <laughs> no, I've never watched it since. I think that would cause me such stress. <laughs> Sorry, I, I had mean, to. I, I think you had me. to do it, didn't you? And Wildlife on One ruined for me. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Bon. I couldn't help myself. No, it's, that is my sense of humour is quite of like, you know, I do have to make a joke of it now because it's just. But no, I have not watched the bill as an adult. Um, I have watched some of you guys over in Australia um, series, some police series, and they have me in stitches. The dialogue is just beyond, because over here, we always write dialogue a bit more politely than people. Yeah, of really course. To people. No, <laughs> not on Australian cop shows. They don't do they. It is written how it happens. Oh, that's great. Oh, so I love that. So, so listen, I think creativity is one of the most amazing skills that anybody can have. And, and like yeah. you said, technology is great, but it's slowly zapping that out of people. They don't, yeah. 
do things. They use, they don't use their hands. They don't use their imagination. So how important was, you know, being creative in sort of your recovery and sort of creating the new bond? Because that's what you've essentially done. You've got a new identity now. So how important was creativity in that? Massively. So when I was first diagnosed with PT, um, I started painting and I hadn't painted since I was a child because my birth father actually wanted to be an artist. He was a frustrated artist who works with pigs. Figure that out. <laughs> so he so he kind of when I was younger, it was seen that I was very good at art. But then as soon as that was seen, I wasn't allowed to study art anymore. Um, and it was a thing I could no longer do. Fortunately, I've still got bits because when they kicked me out, they literally packed everything that had ever been to do with me into bags and sent it away with me. I have got stuff I did when I was little. Um, so when I was diagnosed with PTSD, someone said to me, have you thought about maybe getting a paintbrush out? And I was like, no. but I did. And then um, everybody was like, uh, where's this come from? And I was like, well, I could paint when I was younger. Um, so I quit my day job and became an artist um, and did well over the last sort of three years up until the pandemic hit. So I would teach children um, and I had a class that ran for three years and always had a waiting list because they loved how I worked with the kids because it was based on their individual ability, not you must paint like this, this and this. It was exploring what works for you, um, because obviously for me as an adult, one of the greatest things I've got to do is explore what works for me because I didn't know who I was for such a long time. Um, but unfortunately the pandemic hit. Um, one thing that I do have to deal with is I have an autoimmune condition, which means I take immunosuppressants, which means I'm one of the people that's clinically extremely vulnerable for COVID. So I've been at home for the last year. Um, and so I couldn't teach. And that was like a massive, I was like, what am I going to do? And being, it's funny though, because when the, the pandemic hit, it was the first time I really thought about what it was like to grow up in a cult again because everybody was talking about this is the first time in our lives that we've been isolated. And oh, I've just sat there going, no, no, it's, no, it's not. not. <laughs> uh, not at all. <laughs> and at the start, I was like, ah, how am I going to deal with this? So the first thing, literally the first week that I was told you're going to be stuck at home, I rang up for more mental health help. And I was like, this is not going to be easy. And I, I need you guys. And I'm glad I did. Um, but it did finally lay some stuff to rest that was still niggling there, which was good. But I was thinking, this isn't the first time I've been isolated, but also isolation isn't like always something that's really short. Sometimes it can last a long time. And I thought, we have no idea what this is going to be like. Um, and I was like, I get bored quite easily because I spent so long of my life not doing the stuff I wanted to. I now like to fill it with as much stuff as I can do. You don't want to waste um, more time, really, do you? Like, you know, so the first 18 years of your life was sort of not wasted, but you weren't yeah. able to follow your Much passion. longer. I'd say the first 35 years of my wow, life. Wow, okay. Because I just existed in, from 18 to 35, I'd say I really just existed. Um, and it was only at 35 that I started going, hey, what what do I, you know, who who am I? Who is Bon? Um, so I was like, I need to be working, but I can't go out to work. Um, so what am I going to do? Um, so obviously a couple of years ago, um, I had hit my heaviest. So I weighed in at 322 pounds. Um, I battled with my weight my entire adult life. Um, and my husband, this is the joy of being married to someone with Asperger's. He said to me in an email, not in person, obviously, <laughs> why would you do that? That'd be far too romantic. He said, I quite like having you around 
So I'd really like it if you took care of yourself and if you loved yourself enough to do that. And before that, everybody had been like, you need to lose weight, you need to lose weight, you need to lose weight. And I'd been like, I'll do that for five minutes. I'll find a quick fix and it'll work. And obviously they never did. And when he said that, it really, well, it got me in the feels for starters. I was like, wow, he sent me an email. he's so adorable um so yeah and that really made me think about oh actually yeah what am I doing so I ditched all the diets I just learned about calorie deficit because as we all know if we eat less than we need we're going to lose the weight over time um and I started going to the gym um which is a shock to the gym owner because he had trained me a few years earlier and I'd go for a run with him because I could whinge the whole way around and no one could see me. But if he tried to get me in the gym for a session, I'd be like, I'm so ill today, I've got a headache. And I'd never go in. And I was fortunate enough to, um, I had to have a PT at the time, because let's face it, I was not in a mindset where I was going to push myself. Um, He's now my coach. Um, And he very early on got me doing some deadlifts. And he said, have you ever lifted before? And I was like, do I look like the kind of person that's lifted before? No. And he said, uh, you shouldn't be this strong. And I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't know if you put 50, 60 kilos on a bar for a lady and they just pick that up like they just picked up a tissue from the floor, that that was not a thing. So um, he encouraged me to think about competing, um, as you know, in lifting. And then in I was powerlifting, yep. Yep. So um, I was actually fortunate enough that at that point in time, the world's strongest woman lived down the road from me. So I met up with her for the chat and um, she's now one of my friends and she said yeah definitely get into strong woman this would be amazing so I competed my, my first one that year unfortunately I haven't competed again because of covid but um it just got me on this path of getting fitter and healthier and I suddenly realized after 20 years of trying these diets to be happier at the end of it because I would be a certain size or a certain weight I was actually just happy and like I felt better in myself and I wasn't having this mental battle all the time. And so when I had to sit down and think about what do I want to do that I can do in a pandemic and do outside of a pandemic, it was a no brainer. Um, So I decided to qualify um, in coaching. So I qualified in British weightlifting and also in strength and conditioning. And then I kind of went on to make that my job. So that's what I do. Amazing. Well, I, I'm a big believer in movement as well, Bond, that movement is medicine. And I think that's been one of the hardest things during the pandemic and, you know, all around the world, we're all in different situations and, but a lot of it we have spent isolated. And I think things are at our worst when we're not moving daily. And it can be as simple as a walk. Is that things you found with like your clients? Yes, yeah, for sure. So I've been really lucky. I have an awesome group of clients, all with as warped a sense of humour as me. But like, (laughs) they are, it's so good watching them because the industry is so full of, you must be doing this, this and this, and you should do this programme and this programme and it will give you these results. Because I very much, you know, anybody can Google what calorie deficit is and set that for themselves. Anybody can Google workout plans at the end of the day. Um, But what I really enjoy is that, the knowledge that I have from what I learned about changing my mindset is what we work on predominantly. Obviously I write them their workout plans and they're very individual because I have lots of different people with chronic illnesses. So having someone who understands what it can be like to have days where you can't move as well, but you need to do something for yourself 
it's so nice to see these people supported um, and understanding that exercise is for them too. And just because they can't do 20 burpees in a row doesn't mean they're not someone who can move. Um, and that's been huge, just watching people. You know, I, I have days where, so my movement has slowed down over the last year. Um, and it's being investigated at the moment as to why this is happening. And it's all another part of the chapter of the next story, I expect. But um, so, and I'm really, <laughs> we'll see what happens next. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm interested in this too, but there you go, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we'll keep in touch. Yeah, good, that sounds great. <laughs> um, but like, so, and most people would give up at that point. Um, and the gym that I do train at, we do a lot. It is more of a community than just a gym. You know, a lot of stuff is community focused. And during the pandemic, they did really step up for their members. They immediately put classes online and this that, and the other. And we had a competition this last month, which is called our Throwdown. Um, and you had like three wads over the course of a week. And I was like, and you had to do it in pairs. And I was like, no one's going to sign up with me because they know I'm like the slowest person in the thing. But one of the guys there, Brian, who's fantastic, um, he said to me, come on, I'll do it. I'll do it with you. And I was like, you ready to come last, Brian? Although my coach pointed out, if you turned the list of results upside down, we came first. So, you know, <laughs> at the end yeah. of the day. Hi, <laughs> smart thinking. But we had in these wads were things like burpees. And, and I had said, well, there was one particular wad where you had to do certain moves. And then at the end of every two minute period, you had to do five burpees. Well, no, you had to do, that's it. At the end of every little wad, you had to do however much was left in the two minutes as burpees. And I said to Brian, are you ready for a zero score here? This is going to be amazing <laughs> because we'll be lucky if we get the movement in. And he was so patient and just let me go through each movement actually we got 56 burpees over the whole thing and a burpee for me at the moment is literally climbing down to the floor aided getting into burpee position having to haul myself up and it's just that thing of I felt amazing afterwards and the old me would have been so frustrated and gone that wasn't the burpee but it was because it was the movement I just yep. slowed it down from what my body is currently capable of and I think it's so important that we encourage people to do these things in a way that is suited to them rather than thinking they've got to be like a CrossFit athlete. Um, because movement, as you say, is movement. And it's a huge part of just mentally being strong as well as physically. Yeah. And, and I, what you're saying there is it's all about comparison. And I think yeah. unfortunately um, we've all had more time to scroll on social media and, and compare our lives and compare to other people's highlight reels that what they're yeah. doing, I can't do instead of being happy with what you can do, because at the end of the yeah. day, you're still doing a burpee. It may, yeah. no one, there's, yeah. there's no one saying that you can't do it like that. It's just someone else will do it differently. And I think that comparison um, has been heightened in the last yes. year and a half. Like, is that something you've noticed as well? Yeah. So um, I recently started a bit of a campaign around it because I am so fed up of not fed up, but, I feel like there is so much comparison within fit health and fitness. And it's a, I found it a really negative. I fell into the trap about a year ago of comparing my progress to others. And then I realized actually that's such a bad thing to do because we're all so different, you know, and we should just be celebrating what we can do. Um, so I actually started campaigning about a month ago um, because over here in the UK, there was a big debate about is fat healthy, is thin healthy, is this, is that. And it was very polarized views. And I've said, I really feel we need to focus on the middle ground. Um, so I talk about body neutrality, which a lot of people don't understand what it is. And it's actually just focusing on what the body can do rather than what it looks like. 
Um, and interestingly, I was researching it on Instagram and there are 115,000 posts with the hashtag body neutrality, but the vast majority of them still have a woman posing, doing something that isn't exercise. So not showing how it moves, but showing what she looks like. And I've really been talking um, with people, you know, who do follow me on social media about how we need to. So I've got people I might get you to do one, actually, if you wouldn't mind, is I've got yeah. people to do a post, but they just send me a picture of them, just a picture they like. Um, just a paragraph about them them and, and their health and fitness journey or their experience of it. And then three statements about who they are that is nothing to do with what they look like. Um, and it's been amazing and so powerful because we're just seeing who people are away from, you know, this whole thing of scrolling through social media and seeing what people look like. And I do, I think it's time as a whole society to celebrate what humans can do um, and who they are as people, because as I say, what you look like doesn't determine for me your value as a human being. Mm, so um, you know, it's who you are. What do you put back into the world? You know, what what will I get from being your your friend or knowing you that will light up my life? Not, you know, what do you look like? You could have, uh, <laughs> I say, you could have a face like a wrinkled walnut. If you were a nice <laughs> person, I wouldn't care. Um, and I think we've just gone so far past that, that the focus is entirely on is so-and-so and she's got an ass like a peach well does that ask do nice stuff for homeless people or you know what does it do <laughs> exactly if right. it's not doing that, i'm not interested yeah is is that ass a good friend a caring and compassionate <laughs> exactly. is, is that ass empathetic and uh, probably not because it might be quite self-centered but you don't know that as well and you probably shouldn't yeah. judge but yeah, um exactly. i think ex everything you're saying there is so true and people listening can really relate to it i've got no doubt about that bond so if people want to join your coaching or reach out to you where what can we do where's the best place to send them I, I thought you were going to say if people want to join your cult then when you start with a C, I was going to say... Uh, no, I don't recommend people watching the bill. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, people can follow me on Instagram, Facebook as Be More Bon, just B-E, more, the word more, and Bon as in Bon Bon. Um, and they can, you know, read stuff on there that I post about it. Um, and if they find they're interested, there's a link on there to like a free Facebook group that I have for people who want to dip their toe in the water and see what it's all about. Um, so, yeah, social media is the place to find me at. Perfect. Well, I'll have links in the show notes, guys. This is episode number 228. So you can go there and check out Bon um, and I will send you a picture and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, what I think things about myself um i actually like yes. doing that and um very funny i just did a live session before we got on here but and one of the hardest things for people to do and i don't know if you know like see this as well is actually say three things that they love about themselves, three things they're good at we're very quick yes. to say it about other people do you find it's really confronting for people it is i mean yesterday afternoon we wrapped up um i did a um a fitness testing so I got five people that I know and love to compete in this little fit and the general public chose some fitness tasks but with a twist so they had to do like sit-ups and put makeup on and <laughs> ridiculous stuff and it, it ended up being quite hilarious and we wrapped that yesterday with the zoom together and I asked each of them who they are or what they like and each and every one of them stumped it took them like time to actually be able to say I like this about myself and I think we've gone Years ago, we used to be like so much about, oh, I don't like this about myself. I don't like that. Correct. But now we're really afraid to say, I love myself because, and I love myself because I've overcome stuff in life that not many people have to, and I can still smile. 
um, when they were diagnosing my um, bone disease and stuff, the, the neurologist actually asked my husband if I was always this happy because they thought it might be part of what was wrong with me. Um, and it's just, because really? <laughs> they, they, there is a disease whereby you are always happy. Um, and so they had to determine if that was what was going on or is it just that that's my outlook? And my husband said, no, that is just how she operates. Um, and I think it's just, we should be able to love those things about ourselves. Um, and we should be able to say, I love myself because why shouldn't you? Like, yeah. and, and as RuPaul says, if you don't love yourself, how are you going to love anyone else? Oh, that is, that is so it true. Isn't... And I couldn't agree more with that. But I think, I think it's one of those things that it's people feel shame when they do that. And I know if you listen yeah. to a lot of you know, Brene Brown and stuff like that, that they're too worried about being judged about what other people say, where it should go the other way. People should be encouraging yeah. that behavior. Because yeah. as you said, you've got to love yourself before you can put yourself out to the world to anybody. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's been my biggest lesson and my biggest thing I would say to people who've been through trauma and are trying to come out the other side before you try and be there for anyone else, focus on you and it is okay. It's not selfish, but you need to heal. And once you've done that, then you will have such amazing stuff you can give back to the world. Oh, how powerful is that? And bon, <laughs> I couldn't think of a better way to wrap up today's episode. I, I just wanted to thank you for your sharing because I think oh, so many people, me. I don't know many other people have been in a cult and I was very excited to hear about <laughs> that. But um, I think like being open and honest and sharing about you know, the trauma that you've had in your life and how you've been able to overcome it. And I think the more people that can share, you know, our vulnerable stories and the, the ups and downs and highs and lows, um, it makes it, more acceptable and okay for other people that may be struggling to go through it. So um, yeah. congratulations for living. You've lived about eight <laughs> lives in, in one. Um, and yeah, I, I've really enjoyed hearing your story today. So thank you very much, Bon. Thank you for having me.